Welcome, and thank you for viewing our weekly sermon. I'm Pastor Malone, and I pray this message be a blessing to you and help you grow closer to Jesus. If you'd like to know more about having a personal relationship with Jesus or to connect with us as a church, please visit westacres.org. Thanks again, and God bless. We're Baptists. We can clap in church, okay? I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, and we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 28 today. We're coming to an end on Paul's first missionary journey. Think of it this way, the first mission trip, the first mission trip, the first Christian mission trip. I haven't been thinking of it that way, but that is exactly what it is, and that's what we've been studying these past few weeks. And we're going to close out this first missionary journey today, and from this point forward, uh, moving on next week, we're going to pause on our study in Acts. Uh, as you know, we're getting closer to the Christmas season, um, so we're going to get our hearts right uh, for that season, focusing on the, uh, the Advent and Christmas time. Um, but I want to assure you, we will come right back to Acts chapter 15 at the beginning of the year. That's one of the cool things about going through the scriptures verse by verse. You stop here, let's wait a few weeks, you know exactly where you'll be at then. So, but we are going to come to a, a stopping point uh, temporarily uh, today. But I want to invite you to turn, with, uh, invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Paul and Barnabas, they've been serving in Lystra last week where they had quite an episode there. The people were trying to worship them as gods. This is where we pick up in verse 19. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord, in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Presidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Let us pray. Father, I pray you please just be with us today as you have been with all the generations previously that have come under the preaching of your word. I pray that you will work in the same way. Lord, I pray you will help in the same way. Help me as your servant uh, to be a, a vessel, uh, Lord, to preach your word. Father, I pray it be clear. I pray it be powerful. Um, God, I pray that you will just use this message uh, to do your will today. 
Father God, as you're with me as your preacher, Lord, I pray that you will be with all the listeners. I pray that you'll remove all the distractions from this place and our hearts will be in tune with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're taking notes, the title of today's message is The Model for Missions. The Model for Missions. We're going to be talking about missions today because that's the subject matter of Acts chapter 14. But when it comes to missions, I want you to know this, church. We don't have to reinvent the wheel in how we do missions. We are given an example. We are given a model in Scripture, but more specifically, we are given the model of the very first mission trip. Uh, so this is such a, a worthy place to be when we want to study this thing called missions. A lot has changed in 2,000 years, but the Great Commission stays the same. So as we look at this model that's given to us by the great pioneer missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, I want you to know this. What we are reading today is still applicable today. It is still usable. This isn't null and void, but this is God's plan. This is God's guide on how to do missions. As we look at this passage today, as we look at this model, there's three things I want to point out that pertain to missions. The first thing is this. The first lesson we learn on missions is missions requires commitment. If you're going to be on mission for God, you must be committed. Faithful servants of God are those who never quit. They keep serving no matter what. You don't see Paul hanging up the ministry. You don't see Paul throwing in the towel. Nothing could keep this guy down because he was committed. And that's what I want us to look at today. Our preceding verses, a recap of last week, we saw Paul and Barnabas in Lystra. And in Lystra, uh, they went there and God was, allowed them to, to heal a man who had never walked before. This, this great miracle took place, which we've seen in other parts of Scripture, especially the book of Acts. But as a result, this man was not only healed, but it got all the city's attention. And they went crazy. They went crazy in terms of this. They thought Paul and Barnabas were gods. And they, they were superstitious people, so they started worshiping Paul and Barnabas. Now, Paul and Barnabas uh, did everything in their power to stop them from doing that. They preached on the one true God. Uh, but last week, we saw the people worshiping Paul and Barnabas. So we've seen their worship, but today we see their wrath. Look at verse 19. It says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. This act of violence was instigated by the Jewish leaders of the surrounding towns. In fact, not just any towns, but the towns that Paul and Barnabas had already visited to previously. We see that they went out of their way to follow Paul to bring persecution. It reminds me of someone we've already talked about in the book of Acts. Somebody that would take a long road trip just to hurt some Christians. You remember who it was? Paul. Saul, the same guy, he's getting a dose of his own medicine. But here we see that these people, they traveled a great distance. This wasn't just a hop and a skip. This wasn't just a little afternoon stroll. But they traveled some distance to get to Lystra. The people in Iconium, they traveled 20 miles. Listen to this. The people in Antioch of Pisidia, they traveled 100 miles. They didn't have cars. 
They, they, they traveled mostly by foot and by caravan. Uh, but this trip would have taken days to get to Lystra. So this shows us their zealousness. This shows their hate towards uh, Paul and the gospel. This also shows us that they missed days of work just to throw rocks at Paul. They were that committed to persecuting Paul. They missed days of work. We see in verse 19, it says, They dragged him out of town, supposing that he was dead. That word supposing is very key in this passage because there's a question here and there's, there's debate. Uh, some believe that Paul actually died here. I would hold to the view that he didn't die. And why do I say that? Because of that word supposing. Supposing. Usually when we see that word supposing, the Greek word is nomizo. And when it's in the New Testament, that means somebody is supposing something, but what they're supposing is not true. So let me explain. If you were around a few years ago and you were watching Super Bowl 51, the Atlanta Falcons were in that Super Bowl, by the way. They haven't been since. Uh, but if you were watching the first half of that game, what would you suppose? You would suppose, like me, they are going to win. I can't wait to call that number from Sports Illustrated, get my DVD, T-shirt, and hat, all those things. I mean, we were supposing they were going to win. But if you watch the whole game, what happened? They lost. If you're a Patriots fan, you can go ahead and smile. But they lost. But here, that word nomizo, we see that here. So I want you to tell you this. If this was a resurrection that actually took place, that would be a huge miracle. And we've seen resurrections previously, and we're going to see them again in the book of Acts. People being raised to life. Jesus isn't the only person that rose from the dead. Did you know that? But Paul, uh, Luke would not have used the word suppose. He would not have undermined the credibility of a resurrection by using the word suppose. And I also want to say this. Luke, the writer of Acts, uh, we talk about two other resurrections in the book of Acts. Both of those texts are very clear. We read, probably remember the lady named Dorcas. Dorcas, she was dead. She was in the upper room. Peter went up there and raised her back to life. The text was very clear that she was dead. This one's my favorite. This takes place in Acts chapter 20. A guy named Eutychus. Eutychus. You better watch out, folks, in the balcony. Uh, but Eutychus, he was up and he was high, listening to the Apostle Paul preach out of a window. He's up there listening to Paul. Paul was preaching all night long. Eutychus fell asleep. Are any, any of y'all asleep? Eutychus fell asleep, fell out the window, and died. Paul preached a man to death. But later, Paul would raise him back to life. Those two instances, the text is very clear. It's not ambiguous. Uh, so I would say that what we have here with the word suppose, Paul didn't actually die, but the people thought he died. And they dragged him out of town. But look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, But when the disciples gathered about him, don't miss this, all the drama that has taken place in Lystra, uh, Paul and Barnabas have to preach to these people because they think they're gods. They're wanting to offer sacrifices to him. All this false understanding, uh, uh, presuppositions in Lystra. Then the fact that Paul has been stoned, don't miss this. 
There are disciples in Lystra. That's not referring to the 12 disciples, but this is referring to disciples and believe, as believers, those who have come to faith. So I want you to know this. All the heartache, all the turmoil that took place in Lystra, from the, the false worship to Paul being stoned to the, to the point where he's nearly dead, it paid off for something. That means through their preaching, there were some people who got saved. Folks, that is awesome. That lets us know this. Wherever there are folks serving the Lord and preaching the truth, it is never in vain. It's going to connect with somebody. And it took place in Lystra. But it says they were gathered around Paul. They probably thought he was dead too. Do you know what the process of stoning is? It is a horrible way of dying. It was a Jewish way of, of killing someone. And they thought he was dead. So they said, enough is enough. Put the rocks down. This joker's done. Drag him outside the city. So they thought he was dead. The disciples that gathered around him probably thought he was dead too. I imagine they were praying over Paul. Praying over the service. Praying for Barnabas. That's another question. Where's Barnabas? Where's Barnabas? I, I, I like to hear that conversation between Paul and Barnabas on the way to the next town. Where were you? Uh, but... They're praying over Paul, gathered around him. What happens? Paul stands up. He stands up. And where does he go? He goes right back to the very city that stoned him. Then we see on the next day that he would make a 60-mile journey to Derby. So I want you to know this. Even though we, I just said this wasn't a resurrection, a miracle has still happened. Paul was stoned. Yet this man stands up and walks right back into the danger zone. Then he makes a 60-day journey to Derby. Again, 60 days, that would have taken a while for that kind of trek on foot to get from one place to the other. God protected Paul. God sustained Paul. God gave him a supernatural ability to get up and keep serving. Paul was committed. Nothing could keep this guy down. It reminds me of our 26th president, Teddy Roosevelt. You've probably heard this story before, but during the 1912 presidential campaign, President Roosevelt, he wasn't actively serving as president then because he had stepped aside for President Taft, if you know your history. But he, he was going to go back. He wanted to be president again. And he was on a circuit of giving speeches. Someone tried to come and assassinate him. They shot him in the chest. Anybody else would have gone home. Anybody else would have been rushed to the hospital, but not Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt had his speech rolled up inside of his pocket. That's where the bullet hit, but it still wounded him. But Teddy Roosevelt said, nope, I got a speech. So he continued on to the place he was supposed to be and gave his speech. And as you know, he was running as the bull moose candidate that year, which doesn't exist anymore. And he said, it's going to take more than a bullet to kill a bull moose. A bullet couldn't keep Teddy Roosevelt down. Rocks aren't going to keep the Apostle Paul down. This man was committed. And in his commitment, we see his courage. He, 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 he had had this, this, this stoning has happened to him. It would have been perfectly permissible for Paul, when he finally found Barnabas, to say, I'm, I've got to take a sabbatical. I need a break. 
I, find me a place where I can rest. Find me a place where I can get healed up. Not Paul. He stands up and goes right back to the danger zone. Proverbs 24 verse 10 says, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Paul's strength was not small. This guy had courage. He had true grit. And it didn't come from himself, but it came from the Lord. Paul also had a conviction with time. Again, he, he didn't uh, go and rest for a matter of days or weeks to, to heal from his injuries. But he made his way to Derby, 60 miles, the very next day. Paul wanted to make sure every moment, every second mattered for God. He would later write to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 16, it says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Paul knew his time was limited on earth. He wanted to make every moment matter. Let me ask you this, church. I could even ask you this. How much time have you wasted today on things that don't matter? How much time have you wasted this past week on things that don't matter? That Netflix marathon, that two-hour period where you just finally snapped out of your uh, smartphone coma, and you said, what have I done for the past two hours? Wasting time on nothing. Folks, the Apostle Paul didn't even waste time bleeding. He kept going for God. What an example. What an a commitment. Folks that want to be on mission for God, they are committed. They are courageous. They're not cowards. They're not quitters. They're not lazy. They're not unwise with their time. But they stay committed. That's the first thing we learn about missions. What is required for missions if you want to be on mission for God. What's the second thing we learn? Number two, missions requires follow-up. Missions requires follow-up. What do I mean by that? We use that word from time to time. If you've been to the doctor, he says, listen, I wanna, uh, I've had you in today. I'm going to bring you in two weeks for a follow-up visit. I want to see how you're doing in a couple weeks. Well, missions, being on mission for God, we do the same thing. Look at verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to the city, to that city, talking about Derby, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. So really quick, uh, Derby was a good town. Uh, we don't hear of any persecution taking place in that town. We only hear good things taking place in Derby. And that was the most eastern point they made on their journey. But if you look at a map, and I don't have that to you. By the way, that's why they have these in the Bible, by the way. This isn't, uh, this isn't fiction. Um, this is real history here. But if you were to look at the map and look at Derby, the quickest way back home to Antioch and Syria would have been to keep going east, southeast. They would have been home the quickest that way. Paul and Barnabas didn't do that. There's some theories that say, okay, it was winter time. They didn't need to travel through the mountains during that time. But folks, would you have rather gone through the mountains or gone through the cities that tried to kill you? I probably would have been like, come on mountains, okay? But Paul and Barnabas retrace their steps. They go back to every city 
that they had already visited and ministered to. Why did they do that? They did it to follow up. They did it to check on these baby Christians. Responsible missions doesn't just make disciples and leave them there on their own. Responsible missions makes disciples and continues to check on them, continues to, to see how they're doing, continues to, to see how they're growing. Paul and Barnabas weren't just one and done with these churches, but they stayed in touch with these churches. Interestingly, Antioch, Lystra, and Iconium, they made up the province that's called Galatia. Galatia. In your Bible, there's a letter from Paul he wrote to the Galatians. Galatians. And what did he call those Galatians? Oh, you foolish Galatians. He calls them foolish. Why is that? Because the people there had fallen victim to this radical teaching by the Judaizers. This radical teaching by those Jews that said, listen, you can have Jesus, but you also got to do this other stuff. You're going to have to be circumcised. You're going to have to follow the law to the T, and you can have your Messiah. Paul had to, to correct that false teaching. But we see him going back to these places, and the fact that he wrote the book of Galatians, the letter to the Galatians, shows us further his commitment to follow-up. So what did this follow-up consist of? It was threefold. We see three things that take place in this follow-up procedure by Paul and Barnabas. Number one, they were there to strengthen the churches. They were there to strengthen. It says, strengthening the souls of the disciples. How do you strengthen the soul of a disciple? How do you strengthen the soul of a member of the church? How do we grow strong? By feeding on the Word of God. By feeding on the Word. By learning doctrine. By receiving instruction. By receiving correction. By being open to discipline. Well, man, we don't like that word today, do we? We're just like, Pastor, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Don't get in my way. Folks, I don't think you understand what church membership is. I don't think you understand what being a part of the body is. We are here to make each other better and stronger. And that's what Paul did. He strengthened these people through the preaching and teaching of his word. It's just like raising a child. How do you raise a child? What's the, the most you do as a parent? You are teaching them. If you're like me right now, you're correcting them a lot. You're teaching them and you're correcting them, but you're not just doing those things verbally. What's the best way to teach a person? Not just by going through the scriptures, not just by going through things verbally. You know what the best teaching mode is? Setting. Well, Brother Ralph kind of did this little mark right here. That came from Brother Ralph, okay? Um, amen, brother. But uh, the best way is to set a godly example. It's to, to, to set an example for your children to emulate. And the same thing is true for the church. To set a godly example for those baby Christians. The second thing we see in this follow-up, number two, is encouraging. Encouraging. Encouraging them to continue in the faith. And saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul was there to encourage the people, but he gives them a warning about tribulation. A warning about persecution. 
And Paul's not there just with a simple little devotion that day. Paul, the one that's giving this some encouragement, is bruised and bloodied from persecution and tribulation. He has those marks on his body. But he's telling the people, this is something you're going to have to count on. He would later write this, anyone that desires to be godly will be persecuted. We are very fortunate in the United States not to know the full weight of that truth. It may very well come. It's getting closer and closer. We're living in a culture that doesn't want to have anything to do with Christ. We're actually living in a culture that just doesn't want to have anything to do with anything that is right at all. They're going more and more hostile. But Paul gives them this warning. And when they see his wounds, they're not just hearing a man speak on this subject, but they are seeing a man. They are seeing the, the gashes on his head, the, the black eye, all the blood stain, all those things that he was probably dealing with in this short period of time. They were seeing that. And that was an encouragement itself. That was an encouragement for these people to, to stay true to the Lord. That was an encouragement for these people. Don't fear the Jewish leaders. And I've already told you they would fall victim to that. The third thing we see is this. Organizing. Organizing. Good follow-up. Good missions involves organization. Look at verse 23. Verse 23 says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church... With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Paul and Barnabas, as missionaries, their job was not just to make disciples. Do you know what they were doing? They weren't just in the business of making the disciples, but they were in the business of planning churches. Did you hear that word in verse 23? They went and they appointed elders to every church. Folks, I want you to know this. We have so many vague ideas of what missions is today. I'm not saying you can't have nonprofits. I'm not saying you can't have mission agencies and mission organizations. But when you read scripture, the primary vehicle for missions is the church. Specifically, it's churches starting new churches. It's churches starting new churches churches. That is the model. That is the vehicle we see in the New Testament. And folks, that we, that's what we should be committed to today. When you look at West Acres Baptist Church and our mission strategy, we're not there yet. We've, we've been there, but that should be the priority. Starting new churches. And that's what Paul was committed to. Notice their strategy, they didn't get with a bunch of building contractors they didn't get with the construction workers of that city saying, okay, we got to build a hut. We need to build a, a great sanctuary, an awesome building, educational space for the young people. Uh, we got to have that place for the kids so they can have fun. You don't see any of that. Now, do we have those things? Yes, we're blessed beyond measure. But their priority was not a building. But their priority was choosing leaders. Jesus said this, if the blind lead the blind, both will fall in the ditch. Paul understood that concept. Their priority going to this city, they recognized, man, Barnabas, we can't stay here forever. We've got to raise up new people to help lead and care for this flock. 
These people need pastoral care. We can't be the only preachers they hear because we're not going to be able to stay here. We've got to raise up new preachers. We've got to raise up new pastors. So they made a priority to choose elders for all those different churches that they revisited. What's that word elder? Uh, We don't really use that here at West Acres, but it's the same exact word for pastor. Elder, pastor, synonymous. So here's the end goal of follow-up and missions. Here's the end goal. The end goal is to to go and start new churches and to help those churches get to the point where they are three things. Independent is one. The, the, The baby bird has to leave the nest. The mama bird can't be there overshadowing the whole time. The mama church can't be there the whole time. So the new churches, they must get to a point where they can be independent. They also need to be, this is always a tricky word for me, indigenous, indigenous. I don't use that every single day. What do do I mean by that? That means when I go into the mission field, we we send somebody, especially to another nation. Yes, missionaries are needed there. Some might stay there for their whole entire life, uh, depending on the situation there. But it should never be the case where West Acres has to go and stay in the land of China forever. Why is that? Because we go there to start new churches so the Chinese can start churches and grow churches and reproduce, reproduce churches. They don't, we don't need to have this thing called colonialism where, where we have all the answers. We have to run the show. We do everything. No, discipleship is making new disciples, making new leaders, making new churches. That is the model we see here in the book of Acts. Are y'all with me? Okay. Number three, missions requires accountability. Missions requires accountability. We see here that missionaries are not independent. Missionaries are not lone wolves. But missionaries are accountable to the church. We see this from the example of Paul and Barnabas. What does it say? They made their way back home. They're going to give a report. Uh, Really quickly, though, I don't want to skip this. Verse 25, it says they stopped in Perga to preach. If you were with us when we were in Acts 13, they made their way to Perga. Some drama went down with John Mark. They didn't preach there. They didn't stay there. John Mark went his separate way. They keep going north. But here on the way back, they said, listen, we're going to preach in Perga. So they preach in Perga. I don't want you to miss that, okay? They didn't skip Perga. But here we see them making their way back. And in verses 26 through 28, we see their arrival and we see their report to the home church. Let's look at those verses together. And from there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended, commended to the grace of God for which the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them. And how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Here we see Paul and Barnabas, the greatest missionaries ever, giving an account of their journey to the church. 
If you were to ask me, okay, who's exempt from that process, I would probably say Paul and Barnabas. I mean, we trust these guys. But even them, even the most beloved pastors and missionaries, still came back to give the church a report of what they had done. And what a report they would have. I want you to just think about some of the things we've seen already in Acts uh, chapter 13 and beyond with this first missionary journey. I could just hear Paul standing before these people, giving them this report. He would probably start in Paphos. Paphos, what do we remember about that town? He would probably say, listen, we were in Paphos, and we, we came in touch with this sorcerer, this sorcerer named Bar-Jesus. And we were trying to witness to the pro-council there, Sergius Paulus, but this wicked devil man was trying to get in the way. There was a battle. But dear church, I want to let you know this. Sergius got saved. They would even say this. We made our way to, to Antioch and Pisidia. Let me tell you, those people loved our preaching. They, the, the first time we preached, they were saying, when are you going to come back? We want to hear you again. Many people got saved there. But folks, we also had a lot of people that didn't like us. They kicked us out of town. We were faced with persecution there. The same thing happened in Iconium. It was just repeat after repeat of the same incidences. But then he would probably get to Lystra. And he would say, let me tell you about Lystra. We made our way to Lystra. God allowed me to heal a man who had never walked. It's just like that story y'all keep talking about with Peter. He healed, healed the man at the temple. The same exact thing happened with me and Barnabas. This guy had never walked before, but God, the Holy Spirit, healed this man immediately and completely. You want to know something crazy? The people there thought we were gods. They started worshiping us. They started wanting to offer sacrifices to us. Me and Barnabas had to preach our hearts out to get these people to stop. They would share that story. I could also see Paul doing this now. He could be talking to the people there. You're probably wondering about these wounds and these scars on my body. That also happened in Lystra. The Jews came there. They stoned me. They dragged me out of town thinking I was dead. All of those things happened there. But I want to let you know this. God provided. God sustained. God Helped us through all those things. I got up. He helped us get to Derby. We preached the gospel there. Many people believed. Then even on the journey home, God allowed us to revisit all the different churches that I've already told you about. God did awesome things on this mission trip. Dear church, thank you for sending me and Barnabas. Thank you for trusting us. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for, for helping us financially. Thank you for all those things. To God be the glory. I could just hear Paul giving that testimony. That's what, it, that's what they did. We do the same thing here. Paul and Barnabas gave an account to the mother church for their missions, for their, for their journey. We do the same thing here. We just had a team come back from Guatemala this, this past summer. We had a team uh, up in Pennsylvania. Uh, we had both of those teams come back and give a report to the church on all the good things God had done. That's the example we follow, that, that, that accountability. But I want you to know this. Long-term missionaries, the same is true for them. They are to be accountable to the church. 
Missionaries are not lone wolves. Missionaries are not independent. Missionaries are not separate from the church. I've thought about this this week. The moment a missionary is no longer attached to a church, the moment a missionary is no longer connected, no longer accountable to a church, can I tell you this? This is, this is me. They're no longer a missionary. Let me explain. Before anyone becomes a missionary, they are first and foremost a member of the church. They are sent by the church. And why are they sent? They are sent for the church. So if you show, show me somebody that's not connected to a church and they're, they're bragging about that name missionary, well, you know how I feel about it. Missionaries are not to be separated from the church. Even if they are serving in Timbuktu, folks, with the amount of technology that we have today, we should never be disconnected with our missionaries. So what, what am I saying here if, if we're to hold missionaries accountable? West Acres Baptist Church, we need to be praying earnestly for our missionaries. Can I say this? We need to care generously for our missionaries. There should never be a missionary that has to come home saying they ran out of money. That should never be the case. We, should, we sent them. We should help provide for them. We should care generously. We should stay connected with them. We should keep them encouraged. And why do we do all those things? So we can ultimately keep them accountable. That's not just your pastor speaking. That's the New Testament speaking. That's the model we see in Scripture. So in closing, as we've looked at these three things, missions requires commitment, follow-up, and accountability. This is the model of the New Testament. This is not just the model of the New Testament, but if you're saying, man, I want to be better at missions. I want us to do it by the book. Folks, this is the first mission trip in the New Testament. So what better way to learn about missions? What better way to be effective in the area of missions than to follow the example God has given us? May West Acres Baptist Church be committed to this, this brief framework that we've gone through today. We're going to get plenty more of these other journeys. May we be committed to these things. And may the Lord bless us as we continue to be a church that is on mission for Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray.